Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today, we're going back to the Flip Hacking Friday that we did. And I did one with Ryan Smith about marketing that was absolutely amazing. I mean, there were probably 60 or 70 people on there, and all of you should have heard it. So we're going to bring it to you now on the podcast. And um, this is a, a lot of concepts that he talked about that he uses in his business with Leadsmith. So he does a lot of high-level marketing for other real estate investors and things like that. And he's in this uh, all day, every day. And every time I talk to him, I'm blown away with the uh, stuff that he's sharing with me and um, the kind of concepts and strategies that he's using. So him and I dive deep into that stuff today. So what I wanted to do was bring it to you. And uh, don't miss the video version. So go to our YouTube channel, Seven Figure Flipping YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, you like the videos, those kind of things that really helps us. Um, but um, listen to the podcast. If you guys want to go deeper, go to the YouTube channel uh, or anywhere, or, you know, what we send out on email for the video version because we were sharing our screen, talking about different things and doing some show and tell throughout. So um, without further ado, here's me and Ryan Smith on something we did right before Flip Hacking Live that I think is going to bring a lot of value to you guys in the marketing side of your business. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. So uh, I'm here with uh, Ryan Smith. I put a post, uh, he's the marketing ninja. Um, he runs a company called Lead Smith. He was on a podcast recently that I did on the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. Ryan has shared some like huge gold bombs on that podcast and at Flip Hacking Live last year. I wanted to bring him on and just kind of answer your questions about marketing. I think this is a hot topic all the time. It never seems to quiet down of like where to find deals. So Ryan, can you just give like the, um, I don't know, cliff notes of who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate it. Uh, my name's Ryan Smith. I uh, run a company called Lead Smith. We help wholesalers and flippers um, run marketing campaigns. We either run them for them or we help them run them for themselves. Um, I, uh, I started off wholesaling by myself and pretty quickly after that, uh, teamed up with Bill and started working for him for several years. So I, I got to see, you know, the ins and outs of a, of a, uh, you know, a larger wholesaling company. And now um, I've, you know, stepped off and now do just the marketing side. All right. So um, I guess, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know if you can see this, but Elena just dropped like massive questions, like six huge questions in the Q and A. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Elena. I that you on Zoom? Um, it, open up the Q and A yeah, on Zoom and you can see it. So, Hey, yeah, if, uh, if you guys are just jumping in or you're, you're here with us, if you uh, got some questions, drop them in the Q and A while we're kind of uh, introing and talking about um, whether marketing related, the uh, future of the market or anything you want to talk about. Um, but I, I want to, while I have Ryan here today, I want to talk about marketing and kind of what we see going on with the market right now. Um, so Ryan, Ryan uh, did uh, like moved around all in my, inside of my company. Like you said, he was wholesaling before. Um, I feel like when I, when Ryan and I kind of teamed up, I remember like offering him a job and I, I, I remember exactly he he sent me all of his lists like he was he was wholesaling in the market that I was building my company uh, in and it was towards the end of my first year so we had we probably had I don't know 40 or 50 deals under our belt at that point probably and maybe 30 or 40 something like that and um, and seeing that list I it was all this niche stuff that Ryan was doing and stuff that I wasn't even looking at or, and I just said like we just took a 
serious competitor off the street by bringing him into the fold instead of keeping him outside because like the stuff that you were doing was amazing. I was doing this, these bigger lists like equity lists. I was spending more money, but you were taking time and dialing in these really like niche type lists that you had and very targeted distressed um, uh, marketing pieces. It was just amazing to see that. And I, that's when I knew I was like, this guy is a, a rock star in this world. Like this um, uh, marketing and, and data analytic type world is the way I look at it. So um, yeah, I'd say, I think, yeah. can, let me, let me throw something in there, Bill, on top of that, which, which uh, I appreciate, appreciate those comments. One of the things that I think would help a lot of people out is, you know, when I started wholesaling, you were already in the space, your marketing budget far exceeded what I, what I could spend. And I had to find a way to still be successful, even with a smaller marketing budget. And that's what led us down this path of, you know, concentrating more on data, getting a little bit more specialized because a lot of the bigger companies, they don't have the time to do it. So, you know, I think it's a great way for smaller companies, even though they're bigger competitors in the market to still be successful. And, and that's what you talked about at Flip Hacking Live last year, right? Yep. Like your presentation last year, I, I gave you this task of saying, how, like, how do people with no budget and maybe they have some time or they, they have some money, but they, and they're, they're in competitive markets, they're going up against companies like mine. Like, how do they, how do they, how do they do deals on either a limited budget or an area where they're in a competitive area? And so, so what were, what were some of those tips from last year? Like, uh, maybe let's go back to that event for a lot of people here probably either weren't there or even if they were there, they probably listened, took notes and didn't do anything with it. Right. So um, what are some of those channels that maybe you're still, you're still using or you've seen success over the last year that you would recommend for them? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, I think that what it boils down to is uh, life events, you know, so what life events are out there that we can have access to that data and then, you know, get in front of those people at the right time. So I, you know, first off, I think that getting into your local county court records is, is kind of the start to everything. Um, there's so much good information inside of there, whether it be, uh, you know, like code violation information, uh, code violation liens, uh, you have utility liens, probates, um, divorces. I mean, the list just goes on and on depending on what market you're in, uh, depends on what data is available. But um, really, there's so much information in there. If you just create a system to, you know, pull that data on a regular basis, I'm telling you, the big companies, they don't have the ability to do that um, on a consistent basis like you do if you're by yourself or you got a small company. So let's say I do, I get that data. So I get that information and I, now I have a list. Let's just say I have a list of divorces, right? So what do I do with that now? Like what's the next step? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are out there, um, you know, contacting, contacting these people in different ways. If I had a list that was specific to divorces, um, I would write a letter to that person I don't know necessarily that I would call out the divorce in the letter, but I would maybe create a bulleted list and say, look, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I do. I don't know if you know anybody that has ever had any of these circumstances happen to them. And then just create a bulleted list and throw divorce in there somewhere. And, you know, just offer your help and say, hey, if, you know, if, there, if there's a situation where, 
you or somebody else you know is looking to sell their property, please reach out to me. We could probably help. And just kind of do it like that. And, and it'll speak to them directly, even though it doesn't call out their divorce. So would you, would you send, you mentioned a letter, would you send them a letter versus a postcard? And if so, why or why not? If, if you're small and you, um, you know, if you're small and you need to maximize your budget um, and you need to get everything you can out of everything, every penny that you spend, I would send a letter. Um, I think that it's, I think that you can put more information in the letter. I think that the response rate's going to be higher. And, um, you know, a lot of companies are buying huge amounts of data and they want to touch a lot of people. That specific list, that divorce list, is not a list that everybody has. So you can afford to, since you spent some extra time on the data, you can spend more time and send them a letter that's nice and stuff like that. So let's keep going down this hole. Like, uh, how do I get them to open the letter instead of make it look like some, like it's a window envelope with a cheap, it's clearly a marketing piece. Like how do I make it look, look like a letter that they want to open? Yeah, um, really you want it to look like it's from your grandmother. Uh, is, is really what it is. So here's an example of one, um, let me cover up part of this guy's address, but you know, this is, this is a letter that is, um, it's all handwritten. It's just got a stamp on it. Um, this particular one right here is a probate. And for the probates, I buy like the really, really nice, uh, stationary, like the cotton envelopes and, you know, go all out. So it just depends on who you're targeting. But I think that, you know, putting something like this, I mean, they're going to open it. There's just no two did ways. You, did you screw up the return address on purpose there? No, I didn't. Okay. I just, because like, that looks like, oh crap, I messed up. I like marked it out. I had right. to fix Like, and did you write that yourself? I, I wrote this one myself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I got a letter from Ryan this morning, by the way, in case anybody's wondering, I got a letter from Ryan this morning. I didn't know who it was, where it was, but I opened it. And I, now I'm, I'm not the perfect test case because I pretty much open everything and look at it because it's marketing. But I, like, I love that what I got today, it was a, a stamp that spoke to me. I got this like handwritten. I was like, oh, what is this? This is interesting. It's from Pace, Florida. And I kind of opened it up and I was like, oh, it's one of Ryan's marketing pieces is a letter that was, that was written to me. Right. And so I think, you know, a lot of that stuff is, um, is smart. The, the thing that I don't like about sending letters personally is that I have, they, they, I have to get them the step of opening it. But in this case, when it's really niche down stuff, like it, it I, I like, there could be, you can, think about how creative you can get. You can get the invitation envelopes and put a, a certain stamp on there. They can buy a bunch of stamps that are maybe like a seasonal type stamp. That is yep. some, not something that a marketing company would send and kind of do like handwrite it or, you know, pay your son or daughter or a high school kid to, to handwrite a bunch of uh, envelopes for you, you know, so you don't have to do it. That's pretty cheap, especially if you have some free labor at your house. So all of that stuff can be, um, can be a great way to go. I, I think, um, so that's, that's if you were going to send them some mail. Okay. There's some, a couple other options, right? What about, um, what else would you potentially do with that? Is there something other than mail that you would consider doing? Hey, let me, let me add one more thing to that, Bill. Um, on, on that po on that letter that I sent you, um, that specific letter looked a little bit more business-like than mm -hmm. what I typically send. But the way that I offset that is I'll throw a couple extra penny stamps on there. They're super cheap. And 
it just makes it look weird. Like, why do they have this forever stamp on there and then a couple extra penny stamps? You know, I can get a roll of thousands of them for, you know, 30 bucks. So it's not, a, it's not expensive, but it makes it look different, you know? Um, I don't know if you noticed that on there, but it should have had some extra penny stamps. So I, I think, think you skimped on my penny stamps, but it did, uh, it did, more, it did more, look more of like a business um, letter, but you're sending it is, it was a kind of a business letter, right? right. And so they're like the, the, your return address was like stamped on yeah. as opposed to handwritten on. So I noticed a lot of that stuff, but that's definitely a letter that I would open it. It almost looked like it was from an attorney. Like, right. Like, so I've gotten those letters before, unfortunately, but when I was looking at it, I was like, this looks like it's from an attorney. So um, there's some other option about like uh, cold calling or, or uh, texting or things like that. You can take that data and skip trace it, right? So um, yeah. would you recommend doing that on some of this niche type stuff? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that the more, the more ways that you try to reach out to these people, the better. Um, you know, texting is really popular right now. If, if you are comfortable on the phones, you can get on the phone and, and reach out to these people. Um, you can also try to email them as well. Um, you know, if as long as you're not talking about a list of 40,000 people, it's a lot more manageable if you're trying to get in contact with, you know, a smaller list of people. Yeah, and I know you've had a lot of success with email, email marketing, and uh, you do a lot of that. So there's, I mean, if you want to get into big bulk email marketing and things like that, there's a lot of um, different things that you can do. But honestly, you can just uh, skip trace them and grab their email and, and shoot them a quick email. And basically put the same information as the letter in there, right? It's tailored to an email. Exactly. And, you know, one thing after testing a ton in the email world, the most success that we've had is creating curiosity. So um, it would be sending a letter to you. Uh, it'd be sending an email to you. It would have your property address in the subject line. And it would say, hey, Bill, do you happen to own a property at whatever the address is? And people just, they want to know what in the world this is about. So um, I think that that's a good approach. And then once they respond back, then you can kind of provide more detail about who you are, what you do and things like that. Because we really okay. just need them to reply. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is just direct response marketing, right? Yeah. Um, you're reaching out and going after them. Um, so uh, Arthur asked, uh, who do you use to skip trace data? What platform do you use for email marketing? So um, we, we use, we use, I personally in my company use Rob Badhorn, um, lead fusion for our skip trace data. And so, then you use them too. Yep. Yep. Okay. Ryan Everyone, does too. So all the time. Let's see. Um, let's go into some of these questions. I think let's okay. see. Elena has a ton of questions. So, um, she asked, what is the difference between the do not call list and litigation list? Um, and how to do a due diligence on this for cold calling, ringless voicemail and text messages. So, a do not call list versus a litigation list. And how do you, um, how do you make sure that you're um, doing the right due diligence on it before you're, you're calling the folks that are on there? Sure. Absolutely. So, um, so the do not call call list is, is going to be a lot larger than the litigation list. The do not call list are people that opted out of the, the, they're on the national do not call registry. Um, so those are the people that are on that. The litigation list are people that they have identified as being highly legit, uh, litigious. I said that right? Litigious. Mm -hmm. Um, so people that have, have shown in the past that they are very happy to, uh, sue other people. So, um, anyway, both of those, both of those are lists. You can go online 
and there are services where you can just upload your list and it'll automatically remove them. A lot of the, um, a lot of, a lot of the companies have that built in some of your list providers and things like that. They can give you that data when you order it. Yeah, that's what I've noticed. It, it, even in inside of some of the um, platforms that we use for um, texting and stuff like that, they'll have their they'll have the list built in. Now, I'm not necessarily doing the due diligence on that um, on right. that list versus the other list. So, um, uh, if that makes sense, like I'm not checking the, the right the platform yeah. that I'm using against the do not call list. I'm just assuming that they're using the that. And then, yeah, that just think of it like light, likely to litigate. They're likely to sue you is that list. And that, that's usually a pretty good list to just avoid. They may not be on the do not call and, or they may be on there, but they're likely to sue you. So uh, stay away from them. And so a lot of those, a lot of those companies will, um, will do that. The other thing is uh, some of the skip tracing services may, if you ask them, Hey, can you remove the do not call or the likely to litigate list? Uh, they may um, kind of overlap those and remove them before sending them to you if you wanted, or potentially put them on a different tab. Uh, I don't know if Rob does that or not, but I've seen uh, quite a few people do that. Yep. So, um, someone on Facebook said, I just got a popcorn mailer from lead Smith. Great marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's us. Yeah. Uh, I know that was like the funniest thing when you sent me that for the first time, uh, yeah. Ryan, Ryan gets all these ideas and tests them out on me. I'm the Guinea pig. A lot of times. I know. Wait, wait till you see what you get tomorrow. Uh, great. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, but yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's very creative, uh, thinking, right? Like, uh, sometimes I think like, how can I, the bottom line is you're trying to get in from in front of somebody who you think could be having this life, life event or some distress going on, who might be interested in selling their house, but how do I get them to open it? How do I get them to pay attention? How do I stand out from everybody else? This, this crowd of like, and sometimes it takes a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of thought. Um, and so if I really want to get somebody's attention, um, I'll give you an example. I'm not going to say who it was, or I'm not going to say what we were trying to get in front of this person for, uh, and I'm probably not even going to give you all the details, but we found out this, this person that we wanted to get their attention, right. Is somebody who is on our like dream 100 list, somebody who I wanted to talk to and have a, have a conversation with. Um, we decided to just have this like two week blitz of sending things to them. Like we figured out what they, what they like, who they are, like a little bit of research on this person. Right. And they're yep. like, if, if you knew who this person was, you could find this information. It's pretty public. Like they're, they're out there, they're doing Facebook lives and podcasts and events and all that stuff. And so uh, found out kind of like their background and then just came up with creative ways and creative things to send them. And it was like these two weeks of just like mailing stuff to their house. And we're in real estate, so it's not really hard to find somebody's address for their house, right? right. And sent like all kinds of stuff to their house. Yeah. And, it was, and it was interesting. Like if I got that, I'd be like, all right, fine. I'm breaking down and finally responding to you. Like it's right. time to set up a meeting and talk. And we did, we got, we got his attention, um, listened to us for a while. We, we created a video, sent it to him, uh, started talking, had a conversation. It's like, and, and it may have cost a couple hundred bucks, maybe, maybe 500 bucks to send all this stuff, but it's potential, like, I don't know, multi-million dollar company sure. that could be creating information from this. So just think about that. Like, what are you doing? How, and you're at, think of yourself as a marketer, don't think of yourself as a, as a flipper or a wholesaler. And it's not, you're not in the real estate business. You're in the marketing business right now, trying to get their attention, right? Then you, what you do on the back end is in the market, in the real estate business. So. Yeah, I think, I think that um, one thing people lose sight of is they go from, Hey, I have a list of people here that, that have some type of situation to like, Hey, I want to figure out how to buy their house. 
like all in one step. So, I mean, the first thing is get in touch with them. Let's, let's get that part done. Once we get in touch with them, then we can work on the next step. So, um, you know, just take it one step at a time. Yep. So the, the follow-up question from Elena is uh, how to make sure that the company that you hire for cold calling, ringless voicemail and texting is doing that due diligence of the, um, uh, of the litigation list, do not call list, stuff like that. Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, you just you just put your you just put your number in there, and then a couple other employees or friends, and see how they respond to you. So you know when they cold call, what, how how was the how was the conversation? You know, lead them on a little bit and tell them you have a house, but you're not sure, and see how they handle themselves. I think that's a great answer. Um, I think I love that. Everybody, write that down. Um, I think Elena was asking about um, like how, how to know that the, the do not call list and likely to litigate. Uh, my, my answer is like ask them and make sure. And um, and if you're hiring a third party provider, then um, like figure out what what the contract is that you guys have with them and who's responsible if they do call somebody on the do not call list that, and gotcha. you get litigated. Like is it them or is it you? Are they dropping your name of your company and all that stuff and throwing you under the bus? Just have that conversation up front. Um, we've hired a couple of those cold calling companies. I haven't been very impressed with them. So maybe there are some people that have had success. Um, what I found is uh, a lot of times um, when you're small, you're looking for that like you're looking for that golden <laughs> that golden uh, bullet, right? That person who's gonna oh they're just gonna drive me ton of leads. Maybe there is somebody on this call or somebody in our Facebook group that uh, can recommend some really great providers. Um, the people that I've seen that have had a lot of success with this are building it in house primarily um, or um, or using a service that like a text platform that they're inputting the information and doing the texting or they have a small team or they hire somebody to do it. Um, I'd say the, the agencies I've, I've struggled with a little bit and I'll just be honest with everybody. Um, all, all, all the agencies primarily um, for, for a lot of that stuff. And we've used a couple, um, but um, I don't think this is a platform to throw specific providers under the bus. Um, but, I, I don't know, Ryan, what do you think about that? Like, there's a point where um, you're just getting started. You don't have a lot of time, but you have some money. Maybe there is an agency to hire to do some of that stuff. And I mean, you're one of those agencies, right? So we've had a lot of success with Ryan in this kind of niche marketing because we just don't have time to do it. And Ryan does a lot of that. He does consulting and he's a, he is an agency. So what do you think? Like, let, let maybe, maybe I'll shift the question a little bit. Like, how do you find a good agency? Like, what, what do you ask and how do you make sure that that you're hiring somebody that's that's valuable and worth it yeah um that's a great question it, there's it's tough it, there's a lot of um there's a lot of people out there um that you know that are claiming that they can they can make it happen um what i would do is is um you know try to go off a recommendation from other people find other people that have done it have used that service and then um if possible start off small i mean don't don't start off with with this massive budget you know, give them a little bit, start tracking your KPIs and see really how it compares to your other marketing channels as far as, you know, dollars in versus dollars out. But before that, you know, cost per lead and things like that. So um, I think it's just start slow. And then if it's if it's performing, pour more money onto it. Yeah, I agree with that. I like that. I, referrals and recommendations from people that you trust are the best. Like you can ask inside of our Facebook group, that seven bigger house and wholesaling group. Um, you know, and I will give you positive recommendations for sure. And, um, I, there's probably a bunch of people that will tell you who to stay away from too in there. Yeah. Um, if I knew the n names of the companies, I, I'll, I'll drop them in there and I'll, I put them in. 
our mastermind group inside the runway and altitude group, like we have this, this, like these, these companies are great. These companies are not great. Stay away from them. So there's like this, almost like the do not call list that we have for agencies, right. Um, that just haven't worked. And it seems like a lot of these pe people will just bring in new folks, three, three to six months, churn them out, bring in new folks. It's a yep. front end marketing budget. Um, and just remember they're, they're trying to make money too. So I think, you, uh, I think you made a great point though, with, um, anybody that I've seen be successful long-term with either cold calling or RVM or SMS, all of them have brought it in house eventually. Uh, and I'm not saying that to say that there's nobody out there that can provide you good service as an agency. Cause I don't know, but I'm just saying that most people, they, they bring it in house. Yeah. And I think for me, it's been controlling the product a little bit, like controlling the, like, and be able to shift fast. Yeah. And so I was talking to somebody recently about, um, about marketing, uh, marketing his, for his business. And I said, I said, it's time that you bring that like marketing director seat in house, just because you're big enough. You've got to the point where, um, you need, even if you pay a little bit more upfront, you can shift and make adjustments and change really fast. You can get the quality uh, control that you need. Um, if the market changes or adjusts, then you can make an adjustment. You can do your script, control some of it, manage the staff, those kind of things. But in the beginning, I don't like, I, I've used a ton of like pay-per-click uh, providers in the beginning, just because I, I didn't, I can't, I'm not going to go figure out how to run Google AdWords campaigns. Sure. And so for years I used an agency, I used Andy McFarland's agency for years on pay-per-click and then eventually brought it in house. And that was just the answer. I said, look, I, we, we can afford to bring it in house now, hire somebody that knows Google AdWords. Um, and I think pay-per-click is a, is, is a great one to use as an, as an example. I think those agencies are, are great. And then Ryan still does all of our niche stuff. Ryan's our agency for all the niche stuff. Like Leadsmith yep. is who we use for all of our niche deals. We're not, I'm not hiring somebody to go down to the courthouse and pull records and sell a computer and do all that stuff. This is what he does. And he's great at it. And, and the return is insane. Like we're, we're actually going to talk about a deal inside the flip hacking live group. So we set up a, a group for everybody that has flip hacking live tickets. So we're, uh, we, this week we did a call with Chad, Chad did all like uh, dialed people sellers and stuff and was like trying to close deals over the phone. Nice. Um, and everybody's been saying they like my plan next week is to have Ryan in there and me and Ryan are going to break down one of the deals that we did um, using his return mail tool that um, that was amazing deal for us. Uh, and so, and I think we just, we just got a couple more. So we did a podcast together. We talked yeah. about one of the strategies that he used. Uh, so if you haven't heard that podcast, go to the seven figure flipping podcast and listen to Ryan's episode. Um, and uh, for that, ta that tip. And we, we, I, what did we make on that? Like $40,000 or something? Yeah. 50? Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, we've, we've had, we've had some huge ones in here the last, last month or two. Yeah. And then he, he just created a skip return, return mail tool that you can uh, get all the mail back. You scan it in and put it in a database. And so he told me, we just got another deal for using this tool. So, um, Okay, uh, uh, Elena, I'm gonna jump around to a couple other questions and then I'll come back to yours. So um, I got a question from Austin and he said, uh, he's at a point where he's got some money to, to start flipping. Uh, he said, what is his best strategy to create a monthly marketing budget to find leads? What do you recommend uh, for a flipper who's just getting started, who's trying to find deals? Like, do you recommend that they market on their own or do you recommend that they work with wholesalers or what do you, what do you recommend? It depends on how fast they need to get need to get deals coming in. Um, you know, so if they have if they have two or three months where they can go without getting a deal under contract, they can start trying to do some of it themselves. 
if they need to get started right away, I'd hop on some wholesalers list and buy directly from them. Um, and then work your way to the point where you can start marketing, marketing, either hire an agency to market for you or hire in or uh, market in house. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the, the marketing game as a wholesaler is a kind of like more of a long-term game. It's possible that you get a deal. It took me four and a half months to get my first deal. And I was spending, I was spending about $3,000 a month uh, on just the marketing side, maybe 2,500 a month in marketing. And this was in 2015, by the way. So those numbers are going to change today. Um, and so, but obviously also I wasn't able to answer my phone. I was only going to hot leads. I, I wasn't able to go on sales appointments on a regular basis, things like that. So there is a lot of like differences and different people and, and what their skill sets are. So the, the problem that I have with flippers wanting to do marketing is I feel like the wholesalers are a marketing and sales company, marketing sales, transaction management type company. And flippers are really responsible for uh, fighting contractors, raising money, networking for deals, and then um, and project management. They're really good at managing the project, budgets, timelines, uh, scopes of work, things like that, making sure that all that all that side of things are done. It's two very different businesses, in my opinion. So just be careful um, uh, doing that. And maybe you can just do some more networking. Like at Flip Hacking Live, Jesse Trujillo is going to come. He's in San Diego. This guy's doing 80 deals a year with no marketing budget. He's in San Diego, California, by the way. He's going to tell you how he did it, like what he does. So as a flipper that's just getting started that has money, like what if you could use that money that you had for either down payments on the, the loans that you're getting on properties and you can do two flips or three flips instead of one at a time with the money that you have uh, and you're not like marketing, unless you're building a marketing machine over and over and over again, you're willing to go six months and, and basically what I said is I'm going to take this money. I'm going to flush down the toilet for six months later if it doesn't work. And after right. four and a half months, I kind of hit the jackpot, made 10 grand and was off to the races after that. And um, so that's my, my recommendation to you is consider, you know, using that money and say like, what, what is your skill set? And if you want to flip and that's what you're really good at and raising capital, hiring contractors, managing projects, those kind of things are what you're really good at then don't build a marketing machine yet. Like go find deals. Like if Jesse can find 80 deals a year in San Diego from networking, so can you. You can find one or two in your city, whatever your city name is. Insert city here. You have no excuse because Jesse's doing 80 in San Diego. Um, let's see. Anthony asked, do you email and or... Um, uh, it's probably, do you email and or call probate executors? Do you email... Um, it says and or uh, probate executor. So do you email or call them? Um, so you? I have e I have emailed them uh, before. That's not my first step. Like I want to reach out kind of passively at first uh, and present myself well. If time goes on, I would certainly be open to emailing them. I do. I, I talk to people all over the country all the time, and I, I talked. I've talked to somebody within the last week that said um, with their specific market, they had been mailing probates for a bit and hadn't had much luck. But when they started cold calling um, the probate list, you know, the executors, um, they started they started getting some traction there. So I think it's worth a shot. Um, I'm not I'm not like an expert on the phone. So if, if I want to do something like that, I'd, I'd have to hire it out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I think that those are both good ideas. I think it's just, you know, like anything else, test it in your market and see how it is. I would take a very, you know, kind of soft approach to the call, though, low pressure. Yeah, there's something interesting that Ryan just said there that most of you probably didn't pick up on. 
Ryan said he's not very uh, good on the phone or doesn't really like to talk on the phone. So that's going to tailor what Ryan does and his strategy. And if you're really good at talking on the phone, then, and you're not really good at sitting down and writing this great copy on a, a letter or something or an email, and it's just not what you enjoy doing, then maybe talking on the phone is better. Um, I, I agree with Ryan. Like, I just be careful with like what you say, how you say it, structure that, um, that script really carefully if you're talking to an executor of an estate, um, because that may be the, the spouse of the person that passed away, or you never know what you're going to get, right? So uh, I would just be careful. Email is definitely a little bit uh, lower, um, uh, maybe not as, not as aggressive uh, to them at first. So um, just think about that, like what, what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. Um, and while we're on that topic, Wendy asked, uh, court records for probate lists. I've been trying to find out info. I'm trying to find info. I've called and spoke with several people at the county. I've not been able to find how to get a list of uh, probate. I've been told it's like having a runner. Is this true? Can I actually get this information myself? Um, it depends on, does she say where she lives? No, or, but we can ask. Market? Let me make sure she's still on. Wendy, uh, if you can put in your market, uh, that would help. But um, it is definitely market dependent of where some of them are online. Some of them are in person. Some of them you have to get through three different people to, to get the right person that will say that, yes, you can get it. So what is your technique if they, you, you find out they, they're saying no, like, sorry, that's, we can't give you that information from, from the court records and stuff. Yeah. So, um, there's a few different, there's a few different ways. So some people, will, some, some areas will have it on Wendy's in Orange County, Florida. Okay, so here's the deal in Florida. I think that's that's her, right? Yep. Okay, so here's the deal in Florida. They have some type of um, some law or whatever else where you can't put probate up on the court websites um, and just let anybody see it. So whenever you go to those court websites, there's a few different types of users you can be. You can be the public that goes in to just view whatever's there. Those will not allow you to see probate records at all. Um, and then they have a registered user and then they have an attorney. And I think there might be one other one. Anyway, what you want to do is you want to become a registered user. And I've done this in countless counties in, in Florida. And typically what you'll do is you'll go online, you'll download a PDF form that you have to fill out and you'll request access as a registered user on their system. Most of them, you can submit it online or email and they'll get you set up with an account and you'll have to log in with the username and password, which is free. Um, there are a couple of them that I've run into that required you to get a notary. So I've went and gotten a notar notarized, um, notarized the form that I signed and then I mail it in and then they get my account set up that way. Either way, once you go through that process, you can see everything online, nothing's blacked out. Uh, you can see everything. So. Um, Ford is actually really, really good for that. Uh, okay. While you were talking about that, somebody said, what about, uh, King County in Seattle? Do you know anything about Washington probate records? No, I don't know off the top of my head. You'd have to, you'd have to look at, it. uh, you have to go and chat with them. But, um, if it's not available online, I do know some people that, you know, they actually do have to go down to the courthouse. Uh, so that, that is a situation in some places if you either can't go to the courthouse, you aren't willing to, or that is an option or whatever else, um, there, there's data providers out there that, that uh, can get it. So I would be looking at buying data uh, from, from somebody that can provide it. 
Uh, Matt asked who that is in King County. He wants to be connected. So his name is Keith, Matt. Matt and Keith, you guys get together in Seattle. Um, and use use our Facebook group. Use the Seven Figure House Living and Wholesaling Facebook group. There's a ton of networking going on in there. People getting on each other's lists. It's awesome. Um, okay. Uh, Arthur asked to use water shutoff lists to market to. And if so, how do you get those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so those are hit or miss, uh, really. Some areas um, you can go in and what we'll do is I'll go to a city and let's say that it's Atlanta, Georgia. I'll just say, I'll just do a Google search on Atlanta, Georgia water company. Every single company that pops up under that search, I'll collect all their email addresses and I'll start there and I'll send them a letter and say, hey, I would like to make a um, Freedom of Information Act request uh, and you need to tell them exactly what you want. Hey, I want every... I'd like a list of every property that does that has not had water service for you know at least three months. And one thing you have to be careful of: there's a lot of people that are selling on the MLS. They may have the water turned off for a short period of time. You don't want those, so you got to be specific about what you want, um, and then you know submit it that way. Some of them are going to come back and tell you, "Hey, tough luck. We're not going to give it to you." Some of them will just send you an Excel sheet with with the exact data on it. Um, and it works a lot easier than you ever think it should. So it, it's hit or miss. One thing that I found is it's a lot harder to get it from private water companies than it is from public ones. Um, if the email doesn't work, you could try following up with a phone call. Uh, but it, it's hit or miss. I mean, sometimes sometimes we get them, sometimes we don't. There's also, um, there's also a list in some places called a zero-use list. So you could request a zero-use list, just people that haven't used it. Make sure you just give them the criteria, though, uh, of what what you want. Like, hey, they've had zero use for the last four months or whatever else. If you just take a little bit of time, there's a lot of different angles that you can use to look at this stuff. Like, uh, it might take a little bit of work, might take a couple calling a couple different times, a couple different people, but it's definitely worth it. Like, this is, and once you've got it down, the interesting thing is once you understand uh, how to do it, it's it's you can it's repeatable. You can just repeat that now. You know what to ask, what to say. And then every single month you can get that data and that information to update your list, right? Yeah. Um, okay, is this good stuff? Are you guys enjoying this? Let me know in the comments if you want us to keep going. We got about 15, 20 minutes left. This is a bunch of more long questions here. Uh, okay. Arthur said, thank you. Jennifer said, yes. So one person's happy with your responses so far. Well, good. Okay. I, I'm glad if we make one person happy. We're good. I want to wait. I didn't wake some of these people up. We got like 50 people on this call and a bunch of people <laughs> on Facebook. Like wake up, wake up everybody. All right. This is great. Um, okay. Elena said, Bill, Ryan, thank you very much. It's amazing that you take time out of your day to help others. Please uh, know this much increase. There we go. Okay. Good, 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 good. Welcome. Uh, all right. I got a couple more questions here. Uh, I wanted to, Matt said, side note, just be careful not to rely on wholesalers numbers, run your own numbers. Most of the local wholesalers have numbers that don't align with how I evaluate deals. Um, I totally agree with that. We were mentioning flippers and buying from wholesalers, like run your own numbers, you do everything. Like we don't even put ARVs and repair estimates out anymore. I used to on my list, but I'm done with that. Like everybody has a different idea of what their ARV is going to be a different idea of what their repair costs are. So I'm not convincing you on what your numbers should be. I'm telling you what we're offering this property at right. and you know, what my fee is. And then you can just tell me, nobody's ever said that my, my rehab budget is, is way too much. Like, it's crazy. Like I don't need to spend $80,000. I only need to spend 30. Like nobody ever told me that. And nobody ever told me that my ARV is too low. So like, uh, it's, I don't know, me and Ryan, Ryan used to run dispositions for us. So, um, 
and this was like the last thing that I was going to give up that and like the, the marketing and the money side of things. And I remember Ryan coming in and me and him would just talk all the time about these crazy people <laughs> that are responding to our stuff. And how, how do we sell the contract, right? How do we best sell the contract? And we eventually just, I was like, take it off, man. Just, we're done. I'm done. Yeah. You, you, you'd have, you'd have people that want to argue for 30 minutes about the ARV and have zero interest in the property. So yeah, just don't waste your time talking to those people. Yeah. Not worth uh, it. it says, uh, Wendy asks, how do you reach out to the water list homeowners? Uh, do you call them? What do you do? I, I, I mean, is it any different than anything else? No, not really. Um, I always like whenever I have a new list exception with exception of like probate or something that's very, uh, very sensitive, I would say. I always send out a postcard first because uh, I'm always sending out postcards. So I'll send out a postcard and for, you know, 30 something cents, you can see if it comes back. If it doesn't come back, then I'll send them something nicer. But I always like test my list the first time with a postcard, unless it's something super specialized. And that way you can quickly find out if the address is good or not. If it comes back, skip trace it and get their updated address. Cause a lot of times, you know, a lot of those will have bad addresses and that's really what you want to find out. Okay, so so you send out a postcard almost like a test to say yeah. instead of sending a, a dollar letter or spending a bunch of time on it and stuff like that, and then when it comes back, you'll skip trace it and, and update it. So you, you'll use your return mail scanning tool. You'll yep. get it on that list. You'll skip trace that, and then you'll figure out what their new address is, update the, the, the mailing address, then send more expensive type marketing materials. Exactly. I, I actually, I hope it comes back. I hope that first one comes back because... I mean, that just means nobody else is going to get in front of them. They don't have the list. They didn't. They're not going to follow up on the on the uh, mailer. So, it's uh, it's easy to win those when when you're the only one in front of the people. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a, that's a gold nugget right there. I hope you guys all wrote that down. Like, uh, we have boxes and boxes of return mail at the at the office, and Ryan Ryan will get it at his house and be like. What do you want me to do with this before? And that's when he created this return mail tool because nobody else is hitting these folks. And so we shared it on the on the podcast. I think we sent out an email to everybody. Um, Ryan, I don't know if you have the link for us, but if you, you could drop it in the chat, I'll I'll grab the next question for that return mail tool. If anybody wants yeah, to get yeah. it, check it out. Like go to the landing page. Um, you guys can check it out. Um, I, it's it's really cheap. I think it's like a hundred bucks or something. It's probably and it's a one time fee. So. Um, something that I would recommend everybody have if you're sending any kind of mail. Uh, but Ryan's got a landing page and some information about it. Okay, so Diana asked, when contacting water companies for freedom of information, do you request it with a personal or business email or does it matter? Um, I try to not appear like a marketing uh, company. So I will create a fake person, like a fake persona. And, you know, I, I, would, just, I would just send it from some random person. If they, some, some of them will come back. I've had them come back in the past and ask me, they would only give it to me if I lived in that state, which is kind of weird. Um, if that happened, I would not respond with that one. Then I would, I would send them a mail from like my actual name. So I could, so I could send them my ID and it matches the name of the person in the email. But uh, anyway, I've run into that before, but yeah, I would just try to act like a normal person. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have like, we buy houses or anything like that. Yeah, so not not a business address that says um, no. buy houses cash at gmail.com. No, no, no. Yeah, just just a personal name one. Okay. Uh, Nikki said, what's your view on sending letters or postcards after seeing a rundown house in a decent neighborhood? So like driving for dollars type stuff. 
Yeah, I, if I'm you're doing saying like letters or postcards, what do you recommend? Yeah, if you're doing like one-offs and stuff like that, definitely letters. Um, absolutely. Um, okay. Any, if you guys have some more questions, drop them in. Uh, I'm going to go back to Elena. Elena's got a couple, uh, a couple more. Um, she said, I'm new and I've only done one deal and it was in 2016. What do I tell the sellers that they ask about my experience? I don't like to lie, but would, uh, but would staying honest result in not closing on deals? Um, my answer to that Elena is, is no. Like I remember when I was getting started, I, I, I was just open and honest with people. I didn't tell them that I have no idea what I'm doing. And this is my first deal I've ever done, but I also didn't tell them that I've closed a hundred deals already. And I'm, I mean, I know all the ins and outs of real estate. I just was, I, it, they don't care. Like they just want their problem solved. They, they have a problem. And if you can fix their problem, then you're their hero. Right. And so I just went in there. I treat them like a person, got to know them, built rapport. And if I could do, get the deal done and, and do the deal, then I did, you know, I, it didn't matter if I didn't have a lot of experience. And a lot of times I leaned on that. Like I actually said that, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what to do here, but I have an attorney or I have a, a title company or I have somebody else that could help me uh, kind of navigate some of this stuff. So let me find out and get back to you. I think that the big thing is when you, you sound like a sleazeball, you're lying. It's very obvious that you don't know what you're talking about. And that's where you get yourself in trouble. So I think, I don't think you have to go in there and say the fact that you did a deal in 2016, like that's more than most people like that. That first deal is the hardest thing to do. Yeah. I think going from zero to one is the hardest step. And that fact that you even have that experience, you have a leg up on me when I got started. And so every, we were all there once. Right. So, you know, it, interesting piece is a lot of, a lot of folks, um, a lot of folks actually like that. Like they want to help somebody who's just getting, if it's a landlord that's really seasoned, and you're just getting started a newer investor. Like we have a multifamily deal that we're doing right now that the guy's holding $6.1 million note back at like three and a half percent interest because he wants to help us out. Like he liked Chad and he was young and then like a gunslinger and he reminded himself of him when he was younger and he wanted to help us out. Like that, that's big, right? So I think um, be yourself be authentic, be honest. Um, you, you don't need a bunch of experience to do deals, but be confident also. So um, like walk in there, like you got a million dollars in your pocket. That's what I always used to tell myself before every appointment and my sales team is like walk in there, like you buy any house, you got a million dollars, but don't, don't sound arrogant, cocky, tell like make stuff up, just be yourself. Um, Anything to add on that, Ryan? That's, no, that's, that's a great answer. Um, one thing, I always, always try to look smaller than what we really are. So like with your company, I always try to make it look like just a random random person reaching out to another random person. I don't, I don't throw business names in there or anything like that. I always like to look small. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because we have that one-two combo because yeah. I like to look big. Like right. I want to... I want to be that when I mail, I want to be the company that is spending a ton of money on you every single month. So eventually in three, uh, when you're ready to sell your house and when you have a life event, then you know that my company can buy your house because we've been spending money mailing to you over and over and over. We're still there. We're not going away. Um, even, even the one star that I got on Google today of a review saying I harass people via the mail. So um, <laughs> that person's upset. Never done business, but they got a review. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, and nobody will remove it. So, um, driving for dollars besides getting property addresses, pictures, and skip tracing, what other research needs to be done prior to contacting leads via direct mail or other means? Uh, that's it. 
I, I think just, just send it to them. Like, uh, if, you're, if you find a, uh, junky house, uh, one thing that I always used to like to do when I was doing, when I was driving for dollars is go out on, on a trash day and see if I could find the crappy houses that didn't have the trash cans out that hopefully were vacant and crappy. Um, sometimes you find the, the crappy houses are just crappy and people are living there and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, there's just think of different, I used to walk through different areas with my family and just write down addresses, talk to the neighbors. There's a neighbor in every, every neighborhood that knows everybody's business, <laughs> like everything's going on. You can find that neighbor, they can hook you up with some serious deals. Um, but yeah, I think just, uh, get some of that information and, and, and send, send the mail or, or, or call them or text them. That's it. I'd rather, I'd rather hit more people if, you know, then, then try to scrub that list really, really hard. And that's, that's like every list that I do. Um, for me, or is it okay to outsource sooner? So let me answer that because I'm pretty passionate about this. Uh, you do not have to figure everything out on your own. Um, now it's going to cost you some money to outsource some things. And so it's got a time versus money, but you've got to really value your time. Like it's really valuable too. Like your time has to have a value. And I didn't do that when I got started. Um, I really didn't think about my time having a certain amount of value. And so um, really think about that. I, I don't think that you have to figure everything out on your own. Um, I think you, you're really strong in a certain place. You need to lean into that. Like you, you stay strong, be strong, like lean into your strengths and hire out, figure out how to fortify your weaknesses. And so um, I don't think you need to master all the steps first. Um, I know people who don't know how to do anything in the real estate business and run a successful business. Um, uh, it's really impressive to see that, but they're really good at managing people and process and systems. They're not necessarily really good at like marketing or sales or, uh, you know, data analytics and stuff like that. So, I, I mean, I saw, I saw Ryan, I saw lots of different people. Like the cool thing is Ryan has come up through like my company. Like we got to know each other when he was getting started and I was getting started. He worked with me. We worked together for quite a few years. We still work together now on more of like a consulting basis. And then Ryan went and started his own business. And so I saw this growth and this development in him that was really interesting. Um, actually, I'm actually writing a book right now. And Ryan, you're, I just finished your section, your chapter. I told your story a little bit in there. Ryan, I was telling this piece about mindset in there that you, you, you reached out to me recently, Ryan, like, I don't know, a year ago, probably. And, and to see the transformation and change that you went through and where you are now running your own company, hiring people and managing the process and, and like to be, people always are like, I, I don't know if I want to pour into somebody because they're just going to go do it on their own. Like they're going to leave me. It's okay. Like let your kids grow up and like fly the coop and leave the nest. Right. I, I guess I am like indirectly calling Ryan, like one of the kids of blackjack, right? We're all yeah. running his sales training platform and doing multifamily deals. And Ryan's running his, uh, his lead Smith and doing marketing for other people. And Dee, Dee was my first hire and she's out running her own business, doing a uh, uh, tax planning and accounting and stuff like that for other people. So, these are three people that were inside my company who are very instrumental in my success and the company's success that are now out doing their own thing. And we are still fine. Like we are doing okay. We're running our company and there's other people that will come in and blossom like that. So um, I think the cool part about what you're saying is like, don't be afraid to bring somebody in. Don't be afraid to outsource, but you don't need to be the expert. There was a time when I remember I was trying to be the expert in everything. And I looked around at our table and maybe you remember, Ryan, it was at the I, I don't know that hotel right there on. Yeah, I I, yeah. yeah. And I, I looked around the conference room and I was like, you know what? Like this is broken. Something's wrong. Like every time there's a problem, everybody just looks at me. Like they, we don't have the right people that are the experts at what they do 
sitting in that seat in their, uh, of their field. Like they're looking at me for, for the answer. And I will never be able to get away from this. And we're never going to be able to grow past where we are right now because I'm the person that knows the most. Like I need the other people that, that, uh, that can, like I need that marketing person that can like be way past me and the salesperson that be way past me, way better than me. And the, the, the phone person that can, that can think on their own and, and have new ideas and concepts way, way more than me. So um, as far as starting to outsource, like you don't have to wait to master everything. Um, I would get a, a decent handle on what's going on. You don't want to, um, you want to know how to have some checks and balances in there and hold people accountable. But I definitely don't know how to build like the, the marketing funnels that Kyle knows how to build or write the best copy emails that he does or this crazy stuff Ryan Smith's doing for my company right now. I don't know how to do that stuff. Um, he's doing it. He's the mastermind behind it. And I outsource that stuff. So uh, don't be afraid to do that. It might cost you some time and some money and things like that. Uh, so, so Wendy asked, uh, do they have probate lists for multifamily uh, also or just single family? Um, so um, sometimes I don't know how to get uh, probate lists for multifamily only. What I have run into is um, when I get probate data, it'll tell what type of property they own. So you could filter it on the back end, but the downside is you'd have to pay for, you would have to pay for it, you know, the whole list and then have to filter it, filter it after the fact. But yeah, I mean, they, they have that. All right, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Ryan is a wealth of knowledge. I'm blown away every time I talk to him. It's absolutely amazing stuff that he gives out. And I can't believe how open and willing he is to share that with everyone. So thank you, Ryan. And I hope you guys got a lot out of that. I'm sure that you did. Um, the one thing that we're doing that I've been talking about recently is this 500K challenge. There's a lot of you that are out there that are looking to raise money. I don't think there's a better time than right now to jump into this 500K challenge. So I'm going to invite all of you to go to 500kchallenge.com and uh, watch the video, check it out. And see if it's right for you. For just a hundred bucks, you can go through 30 days of learning uh, all the ins and outs of how I've used um, uh, these strategies to raise a ton of money for my business and things that I'm doing. So uh, over $15 million now in the past few years that we've raised um, with the strategies that I teach in this 30-day challenge. So go to 500kchallenge.com and grab that. I think that's probably the best thing that you can do for yourself and your business as we move uh, to close out 2020 and into 2021. I will see you guys on the next podcast. What if you could raise $500,000 of private capital in the next 30 days to fund your real estate deals? How would that change your business? How would that change your life? I've put together a 30-day challenge that will walk you through how to get access to all the private funding you'll ever need at incredibly low interest rates on your terms when you need it. It's called the 500K Challenge. This is the same system I've used to raise over $15 million the past few years. And you're not just going to learn how to raise it. You're going to actually start finding this money yourself within the next 30 days as you go through the challenge. This is the single most important skill any real estate investor needs to have, whether you're flipping houses, buying multifamily properties, wholesaling, or anything else. Jump in and start raising private money now at 500kchallenge.com. I'll see you guys on the inside.